welcome everyone. I have Galen Love here, who is a marketing lead at BioConnect, a company that provides biometric access for your digital and physical world. Now, Galen received 13 international marketing awards at Microsoft. Uh, he, at his, during his seven-year tenure, he had multiple awards from Canadian Marketing Association, Hermes Global Creative Marketing Awards. Super excited to have uh, Galen on the show. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Uh, well, Galen, let me uh, start with talking a little bit about your work at BioConnect. I know you just recently started. What is your role? What are, what are some of the things you're looking at to do better marketing here? Yeah, so thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm relatively young in my career. Personally, I started out um, working the agency side in digital media planning. This is after I did a degree in geography, so not very relevant to the marketing right. space, but you know what really is. Um, after working agency side for a year, um, I actually moved to Microsoft where I was working there for about eight years, um, doing both digital consumer and commercial marketing. Um, phenomenal experience, learned a ton, and recently took the plunge to try my hand at a scaling startup in Toronto called BioConnect. Um, so I've only been here for about two months, so if I'm incoherent about what we do, it's because I'm still figuring out myself in a complicated industry. Um, but I was brought in as the marketing director uh, at BioConnect, reporting to the CEO directly of this 60-person um, startup uh, and managing the marketing team and our objectives for the year. So um, we, we've we traditionally been a, a physical hardware manufacturer reseller um, for Canada and the U.S. Um, with Suprema Devices, which is a Korean manufacturer of biometric uh access panels. So think of a fingerprint scanner or a face scanner at a door to open a door. Because right. your HID card, you're buzzing in all the time, ain't the ain't the most secure thing. Because uh, anyone could take that card and pretend right. to be you and move around an organization. Whereas uh, the the key cards that are most secure are the ones that are all over on you right now. So whether it be your fingerprint, your your eye, your face, your palm, um, even the way you walk, the way your heart beats, uh, the time you come to uh, to make an uh, authentication, um, you know, me trying to get into the office at uh, you know ten thirty on a Sunday night probably not the best indicator of me because I usually come in at you know nine o'clock on a Monday morning. So uh, so <laughs> different ways of looking at it, but. Um, in addition to this old world of doors opening and closing based upon keys, whether it be your finger or your badge or fob key or whatever, um, we're launched, we're just in the process of launching a new product, um, which is a digital authenticator. So instead of taking a native approach to, to biometrics, be it touch ID and face ID that's on your, on your phone, um, a mobile authentication system based upon a platform approach. So where you are having multiple different modalities, like your voice and your face or your fingerprint, um, stored on a, a cloud as opposed to on a device. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, I, I definitely like that approach that just we are, before we went on talking about it, where you store, like right now, all this bio information is stored on the device versus there's no way to authenticate it on the, from the other end yeah. of, the, of the bank or whatever other retailer or whoever requests that. And you guys are trying to bring that uh, to them and then make it very much dual way to uh, authenticate it on their end, on the company's end, and on the user's end. Yeah, and I think there's totally a market need for this right now. Um, we are all moving through digital and physical worlds multiple times throughout the day. 
Um, and we're all saying, I am Galen, or I am Sergey, or I'm Sarah, whoever. Um, there's really little way to know if this is actually the person, unless you can see, touch, feel them, right? So um, a key card is not who you are, right? And a, a password you might have is not a reflection of who you are. Really, it's your biometrics that really authenticate who you are. So when you're thinking about identity, um, it's important to think about it in three levels. There's, you know, what you know. And so what you know to authenticate who you are would be a key code, uh, a password, um, a passcode, something that you'd know that maybe no one else would. Ultimately, those things don't work very well because they're easily forgotten right. um, and they're easily remembered by others. Uh, and with the recent hacks and leaks, like, it's easy to um, spread that information around. The next level beyond what you know is what you have. And so that was an innovation uh, about 20 years ago, but RSA tokens in particular. And so you might have seen them, but they're kind of like a keychain that has a bunch of six different code letters on it, sorry, numbers on it. And uh, if you're trying to log into an account or make a money transfer, you have to look at your key and see, okay, it's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and plug that in to authenticate who you are. Again, maybe it's a bit simpler because you don't remember a password, but again, it's not very secure because someone could go into your office or into your home and take it, uh, then thereby taking your identity, or someone can, um, uh, or, or you can lose it. And that's really frustrating when you lose those things. You got to order a new one and then it comes in, blah, blah, blah. Right. The next level is who you are. So it's not about what you know, and it's not about what you have, it's who you are. And that's where biometrics come in. And so we have keys all over our body, whether it be our finger, our voice, our eye, our face, and our contextual and behavior. Uh, that really help make a, a richer story to authenticate who you are. There, there are, of course, pluses and negatives to each individual modality, whether it be your thumbprint might be strong in some cases, but weaker in others. Um, but the approach that BioConnect is taking is a platform approach where we have multiple different modalities um, to provide an option and additional layers of stepping up for an authentication. Mm. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, definitely the future and the best user experience, super secure and you, you can't lose it. Exactly, right? And that, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's way more secure because it's not a password or a keychain, um, it's who you are physically, but it's also a lot more convenient for an end user. And if you're talking to IT departments, you know, there's obviously a lot of frustration about people forgetting passwords or security breaches. You can have the best technology and security system in the world, but if people forget their passwords, it's brought to its knees. Um, so thinking about different ways to let users easily float in and out. Um, and so that works on both the digital side so authenticating and logging into applications is also on the physical side. Again, like your, your key badge to get in and out of an office isn't right. the most secure uh, method of allowing people to move around freely within a workplace. So tell me about marketing and BioConnect. What are you guys doing right now? Uh, from your limited time, obviously, mm -hmm. what, do you see of, what do you see the direction that you'd like to go? Uh, maybe certain vehicles uh, you'd like to consider to to move forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to bring in the best of the things I've learned at Microsoft and applying it to this growing organization. Um, and the way I'm approaching right now, and I have no idea if this is right or not, but I'm making an educated guess and I'm taking a learning approach to it and a growth yeah. mindset. Right. Reporting on the data is number one and making sure we have great visibility of what's going on. But the approach we're taking is very much a content marketing strategy, leveraging both owned, paid, and earned strategies. So we're focusing first and foremost about making interesting content, whether it be gated, like ebooks and white papers and webinars, or ungated, social content, websites, blog posts, infographics, all that noise. Um, 
that's at the core of our right. strategy is creating engaging content. And when you have a topic like biometrics, which everyone's kind of like, oh, that'd be so nice to have that and not have a password because personally, every time I go to my parents' house on the weekend, there's my dad who stores all his passwords as contacts in his phone and my mom who stores it on a piece of paper that she hides in her, her office. So um, keeping them up to date what their passwords are is, is a nightmare. So if I can do my best to solve that problem for them, it might make a lot of other people in the world happy that they don't have to remember your parents' passwords anymore. Um, so content's at the, at the heart of it. And then we're thinking about the own strategy. Where does it sit? And so right now we're, we're thinking about our blogs and our websites and our social channels as kind of the house of that for today. Then we are looking at paid. And this is new for us is to expand to a paid media model where we're, it's great to have all this stuff sitting on your site, but you're really dependent on people searching for you directly or the content you're looking for through SEO. Um, our paid strategy is trying to get in front of individuals and we're taking a two-pronged approach. We're looking at driving on LinkedIn, uh, targeting very specific job titles in organizations in certain industries in a certain region, which is an amazing tool that LinkedIn provides to do that kind of segmentation, uh, to provide a bit of awareness, but also to drive some options for some form fills to capture some leads. Um, but we're also trying to, on the other side, capture any latent demand on Google Ads and trying to pull people in based upon their own queries. So we're seeing a lot of people search for two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication models, um, biometrics as a whole. Um, and if we're not serving ourselves up on the top of that list, then we are doing ourselves a disservice because people are not going to naturally find their way to a small Toronto scaling startup. It's a web page. So we have to in intercept and get them to us. So, so are you looking at both B2C and B2B strategy? You're looking to bring awareness of people, hey, this is what we are doing, and at the same time, look at accounts that you'd like to target? Yeah, I'd say for B2C, less of a priority. Um, the native biometrics in your phone are great. They're, they're not enterprise grade. Um, but as consumer wouldn't be purchasing for our products. Um, that's not to say that, they, that our customers can't be thinking about our, our solution to bring to their consumers. Mm. Um, so there is an option there, but we'll be targeting consumers in particular. Um, there's something to be said about what you can do to create a bit more of a halo around your brand. Um, and that's what, what our earned strategy would be, is how we're getting our customers, our partners, our employees, media, to have their eye on our, what we're trying to talk about, whether it be our content or our message or mm -hmm. some solutions that we're bringing to market. So there is an opportunity there. Um, it, it's, it's life in a B2B micro niche. Like you're, you're very focused on hitting your core market first. Um, of course, I'd love to have everyone in the world know about what we do, um, but I'm more concerned about having certain individuals know exactly what we do and how we can serve their business better. Yeah, that's the focused approach is always usually better before you start expanding and, and Yeah, values. totally. I mean, we've got a limited amount of resources. Um, so do you want to buy a shotgun or a sniper? I'd rather get the sniper if I'm trying my targets really far away and yeah. hard to get to. Totally agree. So everyone does retargeting, everybody does email sequences and you know LinkedIn automation. Yep. But like what I the trends that we've seen so far is that Marketing goes more into authentic, authentic way. Consumers want to have this one-on-one -on -one interaction. They don't. They want to know that you're a real person, somebody who talks to them. Yep. How you look like? What is what is your take on that? And what are your thoughts on implementing that for BioConnect? Yeah, I think it's a balance between the two. I mean, you do need to be doing breadth marketing um, just to get your message out there, especially when you're in a small, unheard company. Um, you want to have some sort of recognition that you are a thought leader. So you definitely need a space for the traditional lead generation model. Um, but we also start thinking about what is our 
our depth marketing approach. And you know that term, quote unquote, marketing, is in question here, because is it really marketing? I, I'd say it's marketing enablement of sellers, and that's that account-based marketing methodology. So there's great tools out there, what Vidyard can do. Um, I love it. Yeah. They're so good. So amazing. I want that here. So working on it. And yeah. Sales Navigator at LinkedIn has a really powerful tool there. but. Um, I think we, we need to be better engaged with customers. And yeah, they, not everyone wants to be talked to um, as a generic audience. People want to be addressed individually. And there's great opportunities for sellers to leverage these kind of tools, provide a one-to-one experience with the support enablement of the marketing department. Um, yeah. But there's also an opportunity here for, um, for chatbots, Intercept, um, to help give a one-to-one personalized experience. I've engaged with a fair number of chatbots in my day. I'm not really sold yet on yeah. them. I think yeah. they're still very much in development. There's some great things happening in this space. Um, but I think everyone's pretty well accustomed to know that there's not actually a human on the other side of that. There's Speaking of chatbots, we uh, folks at Drift, they, they are based in Boston. They, mm-hmm. uh, they decided to like take off their forms all their lead forms out of their content, I think about a year and a half ago, a while yeah. ago. And then they changed this model more to a conversational marketing. What are your thoughts about like giving it a try or looking into it as a way to as a different model versus a traditional lead generation gated pieces of content? I think it's super interesting. I'd love to try it out in the A/B test personally um, before investing all of our strategy behind that approach. Um, I'd love to see some case studies where it's actually done really well. So I want to look up that drift case study to see you know how they generate more cost effective leads through removing gates and rather um, having chatbots intercept. Super interesting, yeah. um, let's see the data behind it because I think we're all very accustomed to this, This you know, we start off with CPMs and then we start buying on a CPC and now we're buying on a CPA. You're really looking at not even a cost per engagement, but your cost per engaged audience. So I think maybe the, the media serving side's got to get, you know, changing a little bit in that side too mm-hmm. to uh, be, providing models for not just about paying for an impression or paying for a click or paying for a content acquisition, but paying for an engaged audience or engaged site visitor. So maybe your metric for success is not about how many um, visitors come in, but rather how many of those visitors stay and are staying for like 15, 30 seconds when that chatbot bounces, intercepts and captures a lead. Oh, definitely. There's yeah. definitely going to be a different metric or it could be a number of conversations that you have yeah. or a number of people who, uh, so if you do like a, you, if you have a chatbot on the website, there's a way to, um, depending on the question or depending on the option that that prospect selects to flag him as potentially uh, sales qualified or marketing qualified. Yeah. So maybe you measure that, Yeah. like that could be an interesting one. But again, I think in both cases, it will be a <clears throat> much softer metric. Yeah. It won't be a very specific one, which will bring more worries to traditional marketers. Yeah, I mean, the lead form is very dated. Um, it's quote modern marketing, but you yeah. don't know how really modern it is. But I mean, something I've always struggled with is that you have to date before you get married. Um, and when you're asking for someone's first name, last name, social insurance number in a lead form, <laughs> you're, you're really asking a lot of an individual um, when you really may not have the opportunity to really showcase what your product can do. So leading with what, what you do and how you can better serve your customer potentially is the best way to go and let them come to you. Um, so I mean, I've, I've thought about these things, about like making all content ungated and having strong CTAs saying, get in touch, free trial, free demo, contact sales. 
all those kinds of CTAs, it's a, it's a big risk. And um, I want to take it, but just not today, I don't think. <laughs> well, it's it, it, it definitely worth testing. Yeah. So, so, so you, mentioned, you mentioned videos, you mentioned Sales Navigator. What are the trends you see for a B2B market, market in 2019 and beyond? What, what, what's something cool on, on the horizon? Yeah, it's hard to say because we're so early into 2019, personally. Uh, but I, I would say there's data is still going to be top of mind for marketers. Um, and I think it's about how we're going to get better use of the data and how to better visualize it um, and organizing it. There's just so much we're collecting, but I still feel like it's on islands. Um, there's totally an opportunity for tools to bring that all together to make more informed insights. And if you have some artificial intelligence running the back end, even better. I was just at Google the other day um, and looking at how. The, what some of the new things are coming out with Google Ads, and maybe they've been around for a while, but I've Microsoft, so I've been blind to it for a while. But we got to walk through a demo where you can plug in your site, web, your website into Google, and it will scour for all the images, and it will help you create a Google Display Network ad, like a big box or a banner ad, using the existing imagery. So you're kind mm -hmm. of like lessen the load on your design team or your creative agencies from building ads out, or you can just throw in what assets you already have that's sitting on your website. They'll put in the copy and the CTA and use the imagery you already have and you can run A-B tests nice. based upon assets you already create. So it's, a, it's an interfacing um, opportunity for uh, automation with uh, creating banner ads. It sounds very much like Facebook Ad Manager where you have a lot of automation approaches and yeah. uh, it looks, looks to be pretty similar. But I also find it's with Google Ads, it, there's just so much more competition. The price level is higher yeah. per, per ad versus if you do Facebook, which is which is maybe a little bit difficult for B2B, yeah. admittedly, yeah. or Instagram. Yeah, um, we'd love to try Instagram for B2B. It's, it's the targeting that's gonna be always be a challenge. I mean, yes, Facebook has great targeting. I'm not saying they don't. Um, LinkedIn just has that really niche platform of, you know, uh, of job titles and location and certain industries and um, how long they've been in their role for, really rich targeting criteria. And Google on the, on the other side of it has a lot of people who are just looking to be looking for things. And so you're providing right. your hands right. and I got what you're looking for. So that, that's where my focus is right now. I am totally open to different ways to serving media. Yeah. Um, just got to get my foundations right because I'm still two months in a row. I've got to prove some value <laughs> before I start throwing things in the wind. Well, it's good to test. It's a good time to actually test and, totally. and, and see, see what's working, what's not working. So. I've, uh, so we know that storytelling is super important. That's mm -hmm. really, really key. Everybody tells stories, but what I find is there's a lot, like a lot of companies that are telling stories. And so even if you sometimes tell a good story, it can get lost in, in the sea of all this um, admittedly good content marketing. Mm -hmm. But brand character on the other side is, is more is stronger. Mm -hmm. When you create a good brand character, and ideally if it's po a little bit polarizing, then that is a, such a differentiating factor. If we look at really super successful brands like, like Apple, like McDonald's, uh, like Nike, there's always something behind that. There's a certain mm -hmm. brand character behind that, that mm -hmm. logo. How, what are your thoughts on one brand character versus storytelling when you actually create in the content? How do you, how do you see that? balance. I see they work together because your storytelling strategy should be based upon your brand character and your brand's voice. So by connect working in the security space for digital and physical access and identity, like what's first and foremost for us is trust. Um, we need to make sure that our brand character is standing up for trust in the workplace. Um, and our storytelling should resemble that as well. So a strategy should definitely be connecting those two together because if you're storytelling, 
as another person uh, or another brand or another image of yourself as an organization, then you're not really being truly reflective of what your values are. So we like books. I love books on this, and I like to talk about books on this podcast. What was the most impactful book that you read, either in marketing or in business, that you think could be beneficial to the audience who are running their businesses or working in a B2B space? Yeah, um, I recently read a book called New Power. Um, it's by Henry Timms and Jeremy Hymans. Um, phenomenal read. Um, it's not necessarily about marketing, but it has a lot of lessons to share with marketers. And it's all based upon the notion of power. Um, mm. And so power is the ability to produce intended results. That's a coin of Bertrand Russell. Um, and so the old power models that we're generally more accustomed to, it's like a currency and it's held by a few. So you have the prime minister of Canada, you have the CEO of a company, you, yeah, whatever. You, yeah. you have yeah. people who weld power. That's the old model of it. What we're seeing with the rise of digital and social media networks and collectives and uninformed organizations that there's this notion of new power and it works like a current. Mm. Um, it is open and peer driven and it's made, by, it's made by many. So certain examples here, like the Me Too movement, like incredibly mm. power. You have the old power model of Harvey Weinstein um, and he is, you know, Really, I think he was referenced to the same amount of times as God in a county award speeches over the past 30 years. So, like, right. may as well be the Lord um, when it comes to uh, the, the film space. Oh, yeah. And, but then he was taken down by a movement of, of by Me Too. And there's no leader. There's no one in charge. What you do is you have a current of people all motivated the same thing sharing stories mm. and creating virality, right? And I know that's the marker's, like, most yes. hated word is viral um, but that's what this new power is about I mean the old power model is about how to make things stick and when it comes to communication so you repeat a message over and over you think about Donald Trump and saying no collusion build the wall like yeah. his methodology is make it stick um, whereas what the new power is all about is how to make it spread um, and so when you want things to really spread you have to accept the fact that you can't own it um, if you're putting a meme out there yeah, you want credit for all the sub-memes that come from it, but you, for it to be successful, there has to be sub-memes and you have to relinquish ownership. It has to be controlled by others. And so a couple of brands have done this really well. Um, Lego is yeah. a great example of that's harnessed this new power. Um, so what they've actually done is that they're harnessing all of their amazing Lego fans. And so they've created a, a technology platform yeah. where if someone says, I want a Lego structure of the CN Tower, for instance, um, Sure, it's great that someone puts their hand up and yeah. says, I want a CN Tower Lego structure built and manufactured by Lego. But what Lego has said is that if they get 10,000 fans to say, I agree, I want that Lego CN Tower, they're going to make that available. So that's harnessing right. new power. It's listening to your customer. It's, it's letting people decide and be a part of your company's mission and values. Yeah, I might add into a list for sure. And it's funny, like Lego was one of my favorites when I was a kid. I yeah. loved it. It was, it was truly magical what you could create totally. with their product. Totally. And then another example of harnessing new power is actually TED. Um, so TED initially started in California in the 90s, and it was a super select group of people who get to attend these short uh, information sessions about certain topics and let ideas spread. And um, that it made a lot of sense for the context of the 90s, but it had to evolve and change. And so there's actually a lot of pushback mm. uh, in thought put behind it. Like, do we make this content free? Ungated, I know, our favorite word, ungated, <laughs> uh, but make it available to anyone. Like, there was concerns that if we 
create this ungated forum, no one wanted to attend these TED events. Turns out the exact opposite was true. Their TED events are always sold out. There's not enough of them. So much so that the demand exceeded supply. So TED created the TEDx platform, where it's a uh, collection of individuals who are making uh, TED events, um, and they're self-organized. Yeah, TED, 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 TED is doing so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's so phenomenal. And so those are two really interesting cases of using new power to create your, your business success. How I apply that in BioConnect, I'm not sure yet, yeah. but I'm, I'm thinking about these kinds of things to figure out how you can harness new power for your own business success. No, it's very cool, very cool, and I'm definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm reading that book. That's uh, really, really exciting. And uh, um, Galen, the last question, where mm -hmm. everybody can find you online? Yeah, the best place to find me online is LinkedIn. Um, I, I really enjoy that platform. Uh, it's funny. I, I used to be a Facebook guy. I was on Foursquare for a long time. I've never really gotten to Twitter. And Instagram is great, but I'm more just casually just perusing through. But the best place to catch me um, is definitely LinkedIn. Like I, I kind of see my LinkedIn inbox as a as a second email account or a fifth email account. I feel like I've <laughs> got many lying around, but. Yeah, so it's um, linkedin.com slash in slash Galen Love. So that's G-A-E-L-A-N-L-O-V-E. -E, and I can promise you I'm the only Galen Love in the world. So if you get a typo, <laughs> just search for Galen or Galen or Galen, and I'm sure you'll find me. And we'll, uh, I'll link it below the episode so everybody will be able to follow you and uh, see what you're up to. Awesome. Well, Galen, thank you so much for joining. It was a great chat. And um, Best of luck with the strategy, uh, market strategy and bike and bike. Thank you, and I'll keep you updated. Thank you so much. Take care.